Welcome to Tricks of the Rich, the cure for financial FOMO. That's the fear of missing out on what all the rich people seem to know that no one ever told the rest of us. We've heard that rich people know how to make money work for them. Were we absent the day they taught that? We're still working for money. But we've decided to do what the rich do. Assemble a team of expensive experts and advisors to do the hard work for us. They'll be our guests and we're going to pick their brains every week and learn the tricks of the rich so we have a chance to get rich too, if we so choose. We weren't born with membership in the Rich Person Club, so we're going to crash it. Thanks for joining us. This is Jen, and I am here with my co-host, Tiffany, and we are very excited to start this Tricks of the Rich podcast because it means something very special to us, and um, we knew we wanted to embark on this journey because we're both at a point in our lives where um, we're not rich yet. We're aspirationally rich people, and we know so many people in our situation who's just kind of like early middle age, kind of that sandwich generation, like we have our parents to worry about and their estate and our kids and what we're leaving to them, and we're making good money, but don't know we're not quite doing everything we should be doing with it. I kind of feel like there's, I have like this financial FOMO. Like I, I feel like other people are getting together somewhere and talking about money and learning about money without me. And this podcast is basically to to get in my mind, the experts and kind of grill the gurus on everything. What do I need to know right now at this point in my life so I can um, get my happy financial ending? Yeah, well, and especially, you know, as you go through life changes, things kind of shift and change and you start having different goals and aspirations for yourself and your family. And we're at the time now where, you know, we're, especially me, I have a small child, so I'm really looking towards building wealth for my legacy to pass on to her but I need a lot of direction into doing it the right way because that's I didn't grow up with wealth but it's something that I want to start working on so that I can also teach and provide my child as well so yeah I grew up kind of middle and I think you have kind of the same background just kind of like middle class and not not necessarily hurting for money but not understanding it like it never it never was second nature it was actually something that was kind of not that anyone was ashamed of money but my parents just would never talk about it like I never knew how much money they made I never knew it was always like there was this looming specter of we're not going to have enough someday or oh we have to we can't afford that like how many times did I hear we couldn't afford that and as a child I really was was developed this fear of money and the fear of lack of money um, yeah, and and I kind of was opposite. My mom, uh, she never made us feel like we were wealthy because we weren't, but she did teach us the value of a dollar. She taught us, you know, to do in order for us to get uh, money, we had to do chores. We had to work for our money, but she also told us, you know, if, if we want specific things, we had to pay for it ourselves. So it taught us also how to save. So fortunately, I learned that, but I I want to learn now how to build wealth off my money. I want to stop um, spending money mindlessly on things, maybe even like Starbucks every day or, you know, little things that are kind of more of a waste of money and start building my wealth and start making better decisions and start planning an estate for myself and my family. So that's 
kind of the goal of what this is. It does I always thought of wealth, wealth is like, oh, that's like what grownups do. And when, when money mm-hmm. becomes wealth, there's like a line between money and wealth. There's money, have it, have not. You can be poor or rich, but then wealth is this yeah. whole other mystery. It's like only wealthy people or people who are born with money understand wealth. Yeah. You know, so yeah. sometimes it's like, I just want to be rich because I want to have enough money to exchange my money for the goods and services. I want to live a certain life. But I feel like that's immature almost. Like I know that's an immature way to think. Yeah. Like when you're born, it's like you earn this or you get this money and exchange it for something you want. And that's just kind of what money is for. Yeah. But when you get older and you see, you know, you have kids and you also see that money is both more important and less important than you thought it was, you know, mm-hmm. based on what you go through. It's it. I am starting to think about it really differently. And now I'm kind of in a panic. It's like now I'm I'm at the point where I better figure this stuff out. Yeah. Because my parents are older and um, I need to figure out how to help them. You know, yeah. we've kind of role reversed and they're asking me how I can how I can help them with their estate and I need to have those answers. So that's kind of what the goal is of our of this podcast is to really educate and teach people how um, rich people become rich or how rich people build um, their wealth off of already what they have. We're going to have some great experts on coming and giving us their advice, the tricks of the rich. So there's going to be so many different topics in regards to how to build your wealth, how to manage your estate, how to make more money um, off your money, how to build wealth from real estate. We're going to have so many amazing topics um, to talk about literally the tricks of the rich. I love that. I think there there's also another kind of tipping point between the haves, the haves, nots or, or rich versus wealthy is like, do you work for your money or does your money work for you? And I feel like I've traded hours for money and I have traded money for stuff. And it's all very kind of one dimensional and transactional, but it's not like it should be like I feel like there's something I'm missing there's still like the management of building of wealth and a legacy and like all those big picture things like this this you know podcast is our way to kind of understand what people who maybe were born wealthy always felt entitled like mom and dad were always like oh our people will take care of that like I want those people I don't know who those people are I think that's you know our, our regular guests here Joel and Clay are those kind of people and we're going to learn from them. We have them yeah. locked in the podcast booth and we're going to yeah. learn from them. And anyone else listening, all the better. Because I, I really think that we represent a huge um, class of person who needs this kind of education. Yeah. And so um, now that you've mentioned Clay and Joel, um, let us introduce you to them. Um, I will let them go a little bit more into what, who they are and what they do. Um, but we are going to have them on regularly as we feel like they are going to benefit us and our listeners the most with um, the tricks of the rich and how to build their own wealth. Love that. Um, first of all, let's talk to Joel Harris. Hi, Joel. Hello, I'm Joel Harris. I'm an estate planning and probate attorney located in the East Bay. And I have a number of things that I'll be contributing to the show. Uh, Basic estate planning advice, all the way up to complicated advice for larger estates. I've got all kinds of tips and tricks there. Uh, I have legal updates that I'd like to share with everybody. There are some interesting ones this year. And and the the one thing we can rely on our government and Congress and legislature for is to change the rules. So it's very important that we keep up with those. 
I'll be answering questions that folks provide to us about their estate plans or their family's needs. I'm also going to be starting a little uh, segment I'm going to call Dead People's Property because I get a lot of real estate available in my estates and our lovely co-host Tiffany, um, who happens to be an expert realtor, will be happy to get more information if I share something of interest to any of our listeners. You know, it's so funny just hearing you introduce yourself, probate, estates, real estate, like all of those words I have like this visceral reaction to because it's like, oh my gosh, that's that's exciting and mysterious. And it's uh, it shouldn't be mysterious. Like we're trying to like take the take the mask off it. And I'm so glad you're here because we are going to pick your brain dry. <laughs> yes, especially like you said, I'm an expert realtor. So capturing that opportunity of dead people's property is going to be very intriguing to talk about. Yeah, I mean, the listings kind of start with me. These are properties <laughs> that aren't on the market yet, and these opportunities probably will never come up on the market. You're going to get a lot of calls there, Joel, I'm sure. <laughs> I love that it's like, you know, inside scoop, like yeah. people in the know. It's like we're getting behind the curtain for the first time, or I feel like I am, so that's really exciting. Yeah, but don't call me about real estate. Call Tiffany, but I'm happy to share properties that come available in estates that um, I'm handling. Yeah, and, and, you know, like Joel said, we'll share those and you can contact us um, through our podcast and our website and we can, um, and I'll let you guys know a little bit more information on those dead people's property. <laughs> okay. You can help buy them out of the state that Joel is managing and yeah. Clay can tell you how to, how to invest it. How to invest go. it. Yeah, yeah, so let's go to Clay. Yes, hi Clay. Hi everyone, thanks hey. for uh, having me. This is really a great concept. I'm so excited to be a part of it. I, um, I founded a company called Park Mead Capital, and we are a wealth management boutique located here in the Walnut Creek area, and I serve clients all over Northern California. Um, we work really in three primary areas with our clients. We um, work with them sort of looking at their investments and their savings and, and things around budgeting, which are so critical to someone's success both today and in the future. And it's never too early to start thinking about retirement. You know, and really if one of the real tricks of the rich is to invest early and invest often, as they say. And so we're going to talk about a bunch of really um, some obvious and maybe not some obvious techniques on how people can thoughtfully um, start putting money away for the later years in life. Um, and even those who are in retirement years, I think, will benefit from some of the ideas we'll share with them. And then uh, finally, something that's often overlooked, I think, from um, people who are trying to build wealth is the impact on tax strategy. As boring and as dull as that sounds, and believe me, it can get pretty dry, um, how you avoid legally um, paying taxes on money that you're trying to put away for growth and for future savings is critical. And there are a bunch of really thoughtful uh, techniques that the rich employ commonly that the rest of us may not recognize or utilize. And we'll talk about some of those ideas as well. So it's really just awesome to be a part of this group and I'm excited to, to get started. That's awesome. I'm so excited to have you here. Just hearing you talk about it makes me think. My uh, my father always used to say, he didn't talk about money much, but he's like, he was always hung up on taxes and who's co who's coming after his money. And he would always say, like, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Totally. Um, and Absolutely. Yeah. And, and actually, it's, it makes me think, 
in my transition from thinking about money as something you spend in exchange for something, whenever I hear anyone say, like, when do you start investing? Like, my immediate reaction is like, oh, my gosh, this this isn't going to be the podcast for me. This isn't going to be for me because I need every money. I, I, I need every dollar I earn because right. I'm exchanging it for stuff. Um, so... Having someone just help me understand the discipline of like, well, maybe there are ways you can budget so you do have money to invest. Like where yeah. that line is between just a spender versus an investor. Right. And when do you feel like you qualify to be an investor? Sure. No, I think, you know, I think that's that hits the nail on the head for so many um, people who are just sort of starting out. And it's an adage that maybe you've heard before or was shared to me by my father, which is pay yourself first. As hard as that is to think about because sometimes we're living paycheck to paycheck, um, really committing and having the discipline to pay yourself first, whether that's $100, whether it's 5% of what you make every paycheck or, or whatever that dollar amount may be. It's the discipline, it's the real discipline to say, you know what, this is the first and most important bill that I have to pay. And it's my well-being and it's my future is putting that money away. now. The smart way to do it, to avoid taxes, right? We'll talk a little bit about pre-tax and after-tax money. That's where the government takes its sort of pound of flesh or not. Uh, the smart way to do this is that if you're um, able to save through a qualified retirement plan, whether you're doing that through an IRA, whether you're doing that for, through a company-sponsored plan, is going to be really the best way to get started. And, um, and frankly, um, there are very few circumstances that I've heard from people who aren't able to put some money away through a qualified plan, certainly if it's sponsored by the company that they work for. Um, and so many companies today, because they're trying to keep their uh, employees happy, will have matching, um, matching um, um, platforms where they're going to be able to provide uh, monies and, and match the monies that you put away for retirement. So that's just a great way to get started. Commit to yourself, discipline, and uh, start saving for your future. And always take the free money. Yeah, that's right. That's one Absolutely. thing. For rich people well, love something for free. I know that too. So as an estate planning attorney, when mm -hmm. I meet with clients and get their financial information, I'm amazed how many small business owners have not set up a retirement plan for themselves through their companies. So they're missing out on an enormous opportunity. Well, aren't they thinking like, well, I have my business. That is my retirement plan. Like yeah, but, it, but it that just doesn't, doesn't magically turn into... Yeah. Yeah, that's well, they're magically turned into retirement. But that's very short-sighted because we don't know how your business is going to do. Think about how businesses have turned upside down during the COVID era. Mm -hmm. What you need to be thinking about is, is can I set up a SEP IRA, a 401k through my business and put aside money right now to grow for a long time and at the same time not have to pay income tax on that money? Oh my gosh, so much to think about. I know, ah, it stresses me out, but I know, you know, it's 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 hopeful to know that as we're hearing these, like these these wrinkles will be ironed yeah. because it just it it automatically induces some kind of anxiety in me. Yeah, and I want to jump on something that Clay was talking about. Smart tips is not only to pay yourself first, but a lot of people don't necessarily remember to do that or don't do it regularly. You can set that up through your bank mm -hmm. or through your business or through your paycheck. So you don't have to physically do it. You can have it automatically set aside for yourself. And, and that's why those retirement pro programs are so effective. Mm -hmm. Because as you said, Jen, really, I mean, you're leaving money on the table if you're not maxing out the contribution your employer is going to give you. Yeah. And oftentimes it's 2% or 3% or even 4%. And that's money that, that literally you're, you're leaving on the table and you can't get back. 
Yeah. Like one option I have with my company and I've chosen to take it is for every transaction I close, I'm able to put 5% towards stocks of the company. Great. Yeah. And so I'm cons- I'm using part of that as in a, as in a retirement plan. You know, I Perfect. literally don't even see it. And I think that's the best way for me is to not see it and to know that it's going straight to that stock. I think part of the, the automation, I mean, not only it's great that you don't have to think about it. It just like it takes the emotion out of it. Like anything that's automatic and it's like it was never in your pocket, you don't feel it's m- missing now. Mm-hmm. So I think yep. in a way it's like don't even start getting habits of like buying $4 lattes every day. Like it's always right. kind of a cliche. It's like, well, stop buying your $4 latte and save that money. But in a way it's like, gosh, to the extent that you can just like – you won't feel the lack if you just have it just disappear before right. you have it. <laughs> and you and you learn to live without it. Right. Yeah. And then what happens is is you wake up one day, three months, six months, a year later, and you're like, oh, my God, look what how much I've saved. Yeah. And it then it inspires you. Then you're like, oh, wow, okay, this is how it's done. Yeah. And that's the beginning to a great relationship with money, frankly. Well, and I something that Joel said, and also I want to bring it back to you, Tiffany, is like when, when he said like, for self-employed people, think about your retirement. Something that I've kind of grown into is like everyone has to think about their own wealth as their own business and putting their money to work for them and how it's not just you work at someone else's business. Like your own finances are your business. Like in more not, not just like your business, like, you know, that you have to pay attention to, but like you have to think about it as a business and everything you do with your money, um, like real estate, like real estate, you're going to have to live somewhere anyway. Mm-hmm. So like thinking about real estate, everything with you, you do with your money and that you have to do with your money, how do you look at it from a business perspective to make the right decisions right, and to protect it? Mm-hmm. Like it's not just like, you know, I'm exchanging these dollars I earned for a roof over my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and seeing the value, the long-term value too, is very beneficial. So for example, for something like real estate, okay, pay $3,000 towards a rent or pay $3,000 toward month, towards a monthly mortgage and know that in the long-term you're building equity. So if you go to sell, you essentially, as long as you're not you know, upside down, you get that money back. Whereas with rent, you don't. You know, you know, something, the word equity, like I, for the longest time, I would always, always hear equity, the equity markets, equity this, equity that. And people throw it around like it's such a understood thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the, even in real estate, like equity is how much of that, it's what you actually own of something. Right. Like you, to exchange your money for equity is you have an ownership in something that has value that you can sell later and get that equity back. Correct. Like equity is kind of an intimidating word. Like we all, we all have been around it so long, it just rolls off our tongue very easily. But I remember when I didn't know what that was and it intimidated me. Yeah. But yeah, building equity in everything you do. Right. Stuff that own that you own has value and can sell later. That's the name of the game, right? I mean Yeah. Jen, I just wanted to follow up on, on something you said, which I rang true with me. You know, I my business has um, evolved over the years and I spent many, many years, decades in fact, working for these big Wall Street firms and worked with a lot of these large families um, and worked with them and helping um, consulted them on how to invest their money effectively. And when you get to a certain stage of wealth being uh, Tricks of the Rich, the title of the, of the podcast, um, you are no longer working for other people. You are working for yourself. You are managing your estate. And that's exactly kind of the frame of mind 
that I think is really helpful for people who are starting starting out. You know, this is it's my business to manage my wealth. It's it's you know you have to take responsibility for that. Commit the time and the resources and invest the time in understanding what you're doing, how you're investing, and all of the, you know, issues that, that arise with that. But it's so we're all self-employed in one way or another. And, and if you don't, if you don't accept that responsibility, then I think you're setting yourself up for failure. So right. part of our job here today is to help people think through that. Yeah, that's right, Clay. And once people realize that, that's when they also start thinking about protecting their totally. estates. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, just the word estate, like you have one, whether you like it or not, That's mm-hmm. or whether Correct. you know it or not. Yeah. Right. And so the smart families start early and they realize they're, they need to protect their estates, not just from the basics, but things such as court and taxes in my world are optional. You can plan to entirely eliminate them or you can set up your family for failure. So the folks that realize I am working for myself and managing my estate, like Clay discussed, are also the folks that realize we need to start or you know, improve on our estate planning. Yeah, especially for young families. Like I said, I have a, a four-year-old daughter, so I, that's something I need to have in place, right? You Correct. know, especially once you start having a family and, and, you know, start growing your family and getting married, those are all things you need to think about and do. And also just like what, you know, if you die, God forbid, you know, <laughs> yeah. like what, what happens to that money? How, who, whose hands go into that kitty and take the money away that won't end up feeding your daughter. Right. I mean, it actually gets scary. Like when Mm -hmm. you start, when you start thinking about it that way. And as much as you, you don't want to think about it when you think about, you know, death and those, those ultimate facts. And even the COVID COVID uh, era that we're living through right now, it kind of brings all of those things to the forefront. Like if we were, God forbid, unlucky enough to be for that to happen, Mm -hmm. what would happen to our estates? Like I've never even thought about myself as having one. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and some of this is what we're going to be talking about when I'm back for the podcast on the biggest mistakes that people make. And one of the biggest mistakes is not realizing that they have an estate or have to do something when they start a family. So I get new families to come to see me. They've just had a baby and they say, well, you know, do we need to do anything? We don't have any money. We just have a baby. And here comes the tip. Here's how you create your estate and what you do for your family. It's called life insurance. And you can get different kinds of life insurance. You don't have to get anything expensive, but you get that nice big policy to start you off. So that way, if something does happen to you, now we have something to take care of your children. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Add that to the checklist. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like furiously scribbling. Yes. Here. We are creating many new topics for our future podcasts here today. Yeah, yeah. kidding. Really. I could go on a segue and grill right. you for an hour on every noun you yes. used. A, a million dollars in term life insurance for somebody in their 20s or 30s is nominal expense. Mm-hmm. It costs very little money. And that's how we create our initial estate for some families with new children. Right. That's, I never heard it expressed that way, where it's kind of like, yeah, you always think you need insurance but it's like that is your if if an estate if dealing with an estate starts when your life clock ends mm-hmm. insurance is the the chunk of money that you're discussing right the real estate and, they've, and there's a couple key goals that we need to accomplish too because a lot of these young families that come and see me have bought their first house and they have a big fat mortgage and somehow they think their three-year-old is going to be able to pay that if something (laughs) happens to them so we need to have enough insurance to pay off that mortgage 
we need to have enough insurance to send that cute little three-year-old to medical school. We have enough lawyers, so let's stick with doctors. <laughs> um, so that's the basics. Then here's what comes next. Sometimes the husband will say, well, now, you know, I'll be fine if she dies, so we just need insurance on me. And that's a complete fallacy. You need to pay for daycare or, you know, how are you going to keep working, right? not just that. So I'll ask, so if your wife dies, you're going to go back to work tomorrow. Is that the plan? And I, I never get a response to that. And I've been through that myself, and I'll share the story on a future podcast. But my wife died when she was in her 40s in, in March, and I pretty much didn't go back to work full time until the next year. But I practiced what I preached. I paid off my house, set aside money for my children's education, and did other things that allowed me to recover from that. But most people don't think about the real purposes of this planning. Well, I think it's it's so emotional that people just want to play ostrich. You want to put your head in the sand because it's painful to start thinking about. And I, I, I don't want to think about that day, but I'd much rather take the pain on myself now than have it be a pain for the people dealing with my death. And I think that's where maybe all of us play an important role because that's when people seek an outside advisor, um, a trusted advisor who can help them with those difficult discussions, who has the background and the discipline to ask them those those difficult questions that can protect them and their family in the future. And if you know you rely on yourself to have that skill set and to have that uh, discipline, um, that's great. But oftentimes people need to hear from somebody else before they take action. And whether it's real estate or planning or estate planning or law or medical care or whatever that might be. Well, one thing that um, I, I, I had a, <laughs> a friend who did have money. When I finally got to college, I met some of the first people who grew up wealthy. And like, oh, I'll talk, call my family's attorney, my family's finance guy, my family's this. They had like a team in place. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't know where to begin. I still, in a lot of cases, don't know where to begin, except now that I know you guys, it's you guys. <laughs> like it or not, you're my team. <laughs> but like, when should people start assembling their team? Because I, if God forbid I died tomorrow, it would be great if my husband knew to call you and you can ask those objective questions and guide him through it, right? Because when you're in the thick of a major transition or an an emotion, of course, yeah, it's too late by then. Like, when is too early? Do you need money to start assembling your team to manage your money? I mean, I'm I'm happy to jump in. Um, No, I mean, to me, it's never too early. But I think, as Joel points out very accurately, if there's a major event in your life, meaning you have a child, you get married, you buy a property, those are... um, uh, you know, signs that you should take very seriously, uh, um, maybe seeking some advice and making sure that you have your financial plan, your estate plan, at least you're thinking about it and maybe, you know, establish the first kind of foundational steps um, in in building both the financial and an estate plan. So if I'm talking to somebody in their 20s and they've just got married, Joel's exactly right. I'm going to be talking to them about things like insurance, about starting a serious savings plan, about exploring college savings plans. My daughter's in college right now. I just got the bill for her fall uh, for her fall tuition, um, and I'm still trying to recover 
from that number. Uh, it is extraordinary. And, you know, if you can start in your 20s, it's a lot easier than when you, you know, looking at uh, trying to educate your child through college. Have you have you so, always been the person who was the planner? And all well, this you know, like, maybe, I'm, ne- maybe right? I'm neurotic that way. But yeah, you know, you. so yeah, so, I was very fortunate to say. So another tip of the rich is the rich try to let their children complete an excellent education without being burdened by huge debt. But you have to prepare for that when they're born, not when they are yeah. applying for college. Exactly. Yeah. That's Start early. My, my, my parents' technique was sign all these, sign all these. If you want to go to school out of state, sign all these forms. Next thing I knew, I had um, Stafford loans like up the wazoo, oh and gosh. I paid it off for 10 years after graduating with my undergraduate degree. And um, well, yeah, I didn't even know what back. I was doing, but yeah, yeah definitely sent me set back. You that two hundred dollars a month for ten years was like a big. Sure, it does. Yeah. It was groceries, or it would have been. Yeah, I, um, I, my parents established a college fund for me. Thankfully, God forbid. Oh my God, I couldn't imagine. But I also had a scholarship. But had I not had those things, and I came out of college with debt, I'd still be paying it off. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. I can't now imagine having an extra two hundred dollars a month towards debt when I'm putting $200 a month towards my own kid's college now. Right. And my rent <laughs> was 350 so $200 oh is a huge chunk of sure money for me then. Yeah, sure. it was 20 years ago, but <laughs> that was painful. Yeah. And and also, I think at that point, I came out of college with a few thousand dollars on a credit card and $200 a month. I already thought of myself as, I'm always going to be behind the eight ball on money. Right. I'm never going to be stable. I'm never, I, I grew up, you know, middle class, you know, afraid of sliding down the hill to poverty. And I'm always going to be there. Like in my mind, I, I had a, that really set me up with a hang up around money. Yep, and right. I never felt like I'd get back on top of it. So like when I started earning money, like it, you know, I, I was like, oh, I can actually try to take control. But if I had heard from people like you then and what I hope this podcast reaches people who are there or on the front end edge of it, they can make those decisions before they get kind of beaten up by the world and damaged. It totally. becomes harder to do. Yeah. As Clay was saying, there are quite a number of life events that if they occur, trigger the need for planning or updating your plan. And perhaps we'll have a, some future podcasts about that. I actually provide my clients with a list. I say, if anything, any of these 40 things happen, you need to call me back so we can make sure. And some of them are very sad and some of them are fun. So I would definitely put on the list, if you win the lottery, that's a good time say, to do your planning. And I'll be happy you over the next few weeks to share some of my lottery winner stories with you. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear that. Although I'll yeah. probably get so jealous, like <laughs> I'll need to leave the room. <laughs> yeah, and we might have some listeners that may want that list, Joel, of you know things that. If you have a checklist, like you know, we'll, I can post it on the tricksofthericht.com. So Absolutely. go there and download it. Yeah, that'd and, be great. Um, and I can be easily contacted through through my website, which is joelharrislaw.com, and I and this information and other things can be requested. Yeah, awesome. and uh, we'll have uh, links to everyone's information and contact info and all their resources also at tricksofthericht.com. So make that yeah. your first stop, and you only have to remember the one URL. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, do any do any of you guys have specific books you recommend or quotes or things you've kind of lived by um, in order for your, maybe it's your industry or just building wealth in general that you I see recommend. that face play, but you were talking about one just earlier today. Well, so we know there are a few. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's plenty of books. Um, 
So one of the things that that um, that comes to mind, and you know, there's if you spend time in in sort of the markets and the investment world, there's a lot of smart people. I mean, there's a lot of smart people. People, industries, and businesses invest, you know, billions and billions of dollars to analyze and to kind of get richer in a whole host of different ways. Um, and there's a few people that stand out that I've followed over the years, and one of them is a guy named Howard Marks. And Howard Marks um, started a very um, successful investment firm down in Los Angeles called Oak Tree Capital. And, you know, when the dust clears after the markets do their thing, they go up and they go down and their crashes and their peaks and all that stuff, um, you know, the, the real thoughtful... Um, savvy, um, durable uh, investors kind of remain at the top of their game. And Howard is one of those guys. And That's not Marks like M-A-R-A. No, it's not Carl like, Marks. although it's he's in L.A. No, it's not the same. Is that no, KS or X we're talking about? Marks. And, I'm, you know, for the listeners, I think they'll, they'll kind of look him up. He's a really, really fascinating dude. Anyway, so um, he, he very simply... You know, his great quote is, timing is everything. Timing is everything. And you can kind of apply that kind of philosophy, certainly to your financial planning and your investment approach. And it's so true. It's so true. And one of the, so that's a, that's a concept that is um, thread throughout um, a consultation that I'll give a client, which is, so much of the way we approach investing and so much of a, uh, the way that the most successful investors approach investing, as an example, is um, it's not necessarily where you invest. It's because it's, it's when you invest and how you invest. Perfect example. Today, where are we? The 20th of August, 2020. Um, Apple stock, I think, reached its its all time high. You two know, trillion. Well, two cap trillion dollar market cap, four hundred and sixty five, four hundred and seventy dollars a share, something in that area. Um, it just just a year, year and a half ago, it was half that price. Um, in the face of a world pandemic, which is just stunning, yeah. stunning. And so, to buy Apple stock today, and I'm not professing that you should or shouldn't buy Apple. Um, in all disclosure, fairness of disclosure, I'm long the stock. I think it's a great company and I'll hold it for a long, long time. But that being said, would I be a buyer of Apple today talking about timing? Huh. Uh, you know, let's not confuse a great company with a great investment. Based on the timing. Let's not, it was based and on the is, timing. Right. Based right. On timing. Mm. Let's sense. not confuse a great company with a great investment. Now, you know, in 2002, Apple was, you know, whatever, is trading at a fraction of where it is today, 100 bucks. And then, it, you know, it grew and it split and it grew and it split and it grew and it split, I think, three or four times since. Um, so, so timing is everything. And I think this is a, a, a pillar of any kind of really successful people who are building financial wealth. It's to compartmentalize, to divide your investment assets based on time horizon and based on 
other needs like liquidity needs and so what i often share with and talk about with my clients liquidity means cash yeah i'm sorry <laughs> i'll try to i'll try to cut out the jargon you know if i'm 25 years old and i'm investing i got for my retirement i got a long time right i got 20 30 years you can so stash I, it somewhere i want to take a little more risk cash, yeah yeah but if i need cash because i have to pay bills and i have an emergency fund that i need well, that's a very different kind of investment. So timing is everything. Well, and also that reminds me of something that um, I work in real estate tangentially. I'm a marketer, but I work with Tiffany and other people, other realtors all the time. And there's that saying about um, real estate and oak trees and, and things like that. Like, you know, the, the, the best time to buy a house or plant an oak tree is today the second best time is 20 years ago like yeah, yeah. i mean of course totally. if you had done it back then like it would be it would be great like eventually time can time can you know gloss over everything ends up up in in 20 years but um but there's time is timing is everything yeah it's like the it right, the right it, stock at the wrong time or the wrong <laughs> wrong stock at the right time yeah, yeah. well and, the, and a lot of real estate investors they start with one property a year you know, and just each year they just either buy another one, potentially pull equity out, buy another one. But most of them don't go and buy 50 properties in one year. They they start at the age of 30, 35, and they just buy one new one a year. By the time they're 55, they have 20 properties. Well, it's like Clay said, just start. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much kind of what I would say. And that would be like the recommendation I would make is... Yeah, listen to us, listen to experts and see where you can start, how you can start financially. Does it make sense to start and get started? Get started, <laughs> start now. Okay, we're going to take a break and we'll see you on the other side. This is Joel Harris. I'm an estate planning and probate attorney with three offices in the East Bay. I'm a state bar certified specialist and a California super lawyer. I help people set up estate plans because everybody has an estate and if you don't think you have one, I can show you how. I also review and repair existing estate plans and I help people administer estates. For 30 years, I've specialized in helping folks translate all this stuff into English instead of here and after their two fours. Okay, we are back, and um, what we want to do every episode is to have like a little Q&A at the end of our hour or our, our show, however long it lands, um, where we can answer very specific questions. If you want to go to tricksoftherich.com and submit your question, even if it's really detailed, a lot of people can pull um, value from as detailed a question as you want to present. So these are $400 an hour specialists, you know, get some free, great advice for your specific situation, go to tricksoftherich.com and, and ask your question and we will try to answer it in our next podcast. Um, because this is our first, we don't have any cues lined up to A just yet, but we have some frequently asked questions of ourselves that we would love to do just kind of like a little round table and push each other to answer some of the big, big blaring questions. So I know, Clay, you have a big one for Tiffany. Yeah, well, I mean, I know that with some of my younger clients who are sort of just getting started and and maybe some people who have been renters for a number of years and are deciding that now is the time that they should um, purchase a home. Uh, the biggest challenge they have is, is understanding maybe how much home they can really look at purchasing and, and I guess just maybe getting a mortgage 
so what kind of advice or what would people think about in, in that kind of circumstance and how, sh- how should they think about that? When and where, look, where do you begin and when? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I get that question quite often, actually, like, when should I buy a house? When should I stop renting? Am I, can I pay and rent what, um, for a mortgage? So basically, you know, can I get a mortgage for the amount I pay in rent? Um, so where I would get started is talk to a mortgage broker and uh, and let them know what your financials are because they're going to let you know what you can get pre-approved for. Some people think that they can get pre-approved for a million dollars and in reality they can get pre-approved for 500000 So that changes a lot of things on the real estate side because I don't want to have them start looking at million dollar homes when in fact they can only afford a $500,000 home. So I would recommend um, talking with a lender. They're, the lender, mortgage broker, is also going to be able to help you and suggest things to build a, your credit. So if you don't have great credit, they'll recommend things that you can do and pay off to build that credit, which essentially will help you um, get pre-approved potentially for a bigger loan. Um, And then I would start saving for a down payment. Um, Nowadays, you don't necessarily need 20% down. There's a few down payment programs that um, depending on the uh, amount you have, you can um, you can apply for, and usually within as long as you live in the house within three years, you don't have to pay it back. Um, so I always recommend looking into those as well, and most lenders can tell you about that as well. But um, they're first buy first time buyer programs. Um, but yeah, so I would also put money towards start saving money every month towards a down payment. Some of the programs allow you to only pay three to five percent, um, and then they'll. Um, give you anywhere from 10 to 15,000 it varies you know to help with closing costs and other parts of the beginning of the down payment so I would definitely talk to a lender first but in the meantime you can connect with me I can connect you to a lender and I can also kind of give you a checklist on what I would or whomever um, on what I would recommend you do right now to start looking into buying a home how soon is too soon like I know that I mean with a median home price 600,000 plus in the Bay Area. It's like a lot of people a couple years out of college, like they're they're so far out, they don't want to bother you. They don't want to bother a mortgage <laughs> broker. But you guys will take calls from anyone the sooner the better, right? I mean, because you can whip them into shape so that they they have yeah. a chance in even two or three years. Yeah, yeah. I actually have worked with, I mean, some of my people that are buying this year, actually, you know, literally some bought this year. I've been working with them for two years. You know, um, because they reached out to me at the beginning of the process, and I've just been working with them along the way. We keep in communication. Sometimes I'll even show them houses just to make them aware of what they can buy and what their expectations are versus what reality is. Um, so really, any time, you know, I'm happy to have that conversation with anyone. And I think starting t- today to at least put money towards a down payment and um, maybe even towards monthly mortgages because you never know what is going to happen. Today's the day to start to do that if it is something you do want to do in the next few years. You know, 10 years ago, you would have to call a realtor to say, like, what what could I buy? What's on the market? Now, I think with Zillow and Redfin and all these all these websites, it makes it so easy to just shop around and get your hopes up when you, you know, people are like, oh, my God, I want to go see that house so I can buy it next week. And they haven't even, they don't even know their credit score. And they have no idea if they can get a loan. They have no yeah. idea if it's in their budget. So 
in a way, it's like giving people a false sense of accessibility to yeah. real estate where yep. it's like you still have to get your ducks in a row. You talk to a mortgage broker or and a realtor now yeah, get, get before advice. you start shopping. Don't shop Absolutely. yet. Get advice. And sometimes those things aren't real. I have a friend that has a very incredible house in um, a local area and his Zillow estimate was a million dollars off what it's actually valued at. And wow. he actually was very angry and called them. <laughs> and he's like, what is going on? Because... They now have a process feature. Yeah. Like if you want to protest your estimate. And they just <laughs> mentioned something about their algorithm. Like, sorry, mm-hmm. we can't change our algorithm. Mm-hmm. You know? So always reach out to a physical, actual person to get started, to ask advice, and to make sure what you're seeing is accurate. Even the listings online. I have some older friends who just bought their first home mm-hmm. and they were trying to follow listings online and it didn't work very well. Most of them weren't accurate or available. So there yeah. is no substitute for Tiffany McFarland well, or your good realtor. Yeah. <laughs> and for dead people's property in the future, some of it might not be on the market. Some Correct. of it n- might yeah. not be listed. So Realtors will know that. You're not yeah. going to see them on Zillow, but yeah. so the well-connected of... realtors will find opportunities that you can't find. Well, yeah. Correct. A lot of properties are in probate, and currently mm-hmm. the next available probate date to start a probate in Contra Costa is in December. So I will know about these properties mm-hmm. that we can't even list if we wanted to um, that won't be on the market until probably in January. Okay, you yeah. heard it here. Everyone call <laughs> Tiffany and Joel because if Joel has the inside scoop like that that's that's amazing like these are the kind of inside secrets that like i feel like rich people have always gotten these inside scoops but like i love hearing this well, Tell everyone you, i know call you, joel they're they're stockpiling opportunities totally. right now totally and you know i um you know just recently purchased a home and um and i will tell you and this is you know this is to support the whole um the the realtor movement which is mm-hmm. um i think with technology has been you know people are kind of reevaluating how is the business of being a real estate agent changing and i will tell you um through my personal experience um working with a realtor in this transaction was more critical than ever forget about the technology and and tiff you were saying before that you know i think in one of your recent uh um, closings, you had a multiple bid situation. Yeah. If if you don't have a, a really professional, talented, uh, um, you know, realtor working on your behalf, chances are you're not going to get that purchase or that sale. You know, yep, you need to have somebody there pleading your case and making sure that the seller or the buyer knows that you're, you know, you're the one to 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 purchase or sell that home. It's oh, like yeah. if you're on trial for your life, are you going to represent yourself in court? You <laughs> you wouldn't. You better, you hire someone who knows how to win. Yeah, and someone in that's that profession, which is has a good relationship with a lot of agents, but also someone that knows how to write a competitive offer right. and, and can guide win. you to There's write a competitive 100%. I mean, we had multiple offers, hundreds of thousands over list price, but we wrote a very competitive offer because I, I knew how to write it to where... you know, they would be um, ideal for the sellers. You know, it's funny because it's it's the availability online kind of gives the illusion everything is just so available, so accessible, it's democratized, you know, but it really, 
you think the rich people are going on Zillow no. and like like with pen in hand and trying to figure <laughs> out what house to make offers? No. They're calling their realtor. They have a team yep. to advise them. This is a good investment. This is what you should look at. This is what you can afford. And everyone can have that. You just need to reach out and get that assemble that team for you. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And Tiffany, remind everybody how much a realtor costs a buyer. Zero dollars. <laughs> so you are nuts not to have a realtor on your side if you're a buyer because there's no cost and there is incredible benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And even for a seller, even if you think about, oh, if it costs me a couple percentage points to sell, it's like you're going to get, I think, more. you're more likely to get a higher asking absolutely. price than whatever percentage you're, quote unquote, losing to your realtor, mm-hmm. you're going to make up for in the terms of the deal. Or you're going to get a higher asking price because you have the advocate on your side. Mm-hmm. Yep, and tricks of the rich, you got to assemble your team, use the experts. You don't have to be an expert in everything. You just need to know who to call, who to use. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Joel, I have a question for you. So, as I've mentioned many times, again, I'm expanding my family, so when's a good time that I should update my estate plan? So we were talking a little earlier about this list that I have of of (laughs) triggering events. So my recommendation, of course, is to win the lottery. That's a great time to expand your estate plan. But if you do win the lottery, be careful. My first two lottery winners died instantly upon winning the lottery. So so one was a heart attack. Yes. So so we actually had to probate both those two estates. So if you do win the lottery, you know, sit down and relax and then enjoy the handbook that they send you called the Lottery Winner's Handbook. Um, and then more, call business more common events that happen are things like births and deaths. So a lot of people, believe it or not, when their spouse dies, they don't necessarily tell me for years, and they miss a lot of critical deadlines. Um, if we have more children or grandchildren, a lot of people forget to include them in their estate plan. Um, When I have grandparents who want to leave something to their grandchildren, they always argue with me. They say, well, I want to list their names. And I always tell them, please don't list their names. Just say how much money you want to leave to each of your grandchildren. Then if you have more, they're covered. Because most people who list names forget to add the new ones, and then they're out. So any kind of life-changing financial or family event, you should at least call your your attorney and find out, should I make some updates here? See, there you go with your attorney. People don't have attorneys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't have an attorney. I wouldn't know where to begin. Joel at (laughs) Let me repeat that. JoelHarrisLaw.com. Well, also, let me... um, I always wonder, like, I don't want to bother people. I don't have any, they don't want me as a client. I'm a nobody. But like, but you encourage people. You want people to call you because like, you got to start somewhere and you can, I mean, you're right. I love, I love huge estates, but there is no, I don't have a minimum (laughs) or a maximum. Very good. Cool. Did you well, have a I'm, question for Clay? Oh, my gosh. Yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, so, I mean, every, so much has changed in COVID. And, you know, I, I suffer from financial FOMO, but especially now when you're I'm constrained in my house and all I can do is press my nose against the window of the news and see, like, some people are Elon Musk just, like, another $6 million in his network and overnight and i mean when is it a good time to invest now like i I hear the stocks stocks are gangbusters but what am i missing yeah no no i mean that's the sixty four thousand dollar question um couple personal circumstances um a couple of my clients without divulging too much 
Um, one client who actually is now a client but wasn't at the time um, in, was very savvy, uh, so he believed, um, in February when, when things started to get bad with regard to the impact of the virus on the economy and the shutdown that we were anticipating, he went for his entire retirement plan, went 100% into cash. Mm. He's an older gentleman. So I didn't, you know, he was, he was trying to protect his estate, his, his retirement savings. And so I don't fault him for that. Um, and then little did, you know, the big debate, this is answer your question, Jen, without deferring too much, but the big debate was what kind of recovery, if any, will we have in the market? And people were really um, uncertain as to whether we were going to get a V-shape, a U-shape, a J-shape. Remember all that talk, Joel? Well, lo and behold, the market seems to be hitting all-time highs each day and every day. Stocks, some of the big stocks, they call them the FANG stocks, are hitting all-time highs. Now, whether that's overvalued or not, uh, you know, I'm not here to talk about that necessarily. So to answer your question, timing is everything, Jen. So if I am starting my retirement plan as a younger person and I invest uh, systematically, every paycheck, every two weeks, every month, I'm going to dollar cost average and I'm going to buy the market wherever it is. And I'm going to have a well-diversified portfolio. That means I'm going to buy stocks, international, domestic, Writing bonds, all these words all down that, that like people need to have a glossary online. And so I would, you know, if I've got a long time horizon, I'm buying. And I'm not worried too much about the short-term impact of the market. If I'm in my 50s or 60s or if I'm retired and I'm living off of those assets, then I have to think a little bit differently, right? Then I have to say, well, does my portfolio reflect my situation, my unique circumstance? Am I willing to withstand, which could very well happen, I'll go on record saying, the market going down 20%, 25% from here? Could happen. Happens frequently. Um, then I have to think differently, and then I would, I would, I would um, have a professional kind of assess the portfolio, try to determine where my risks are, and and try to either redesign the portfolio so it's better aligned with my circumstances and my ability to take a loss than it would be for a person in their 20s or 30s who's saving for retirement. So, But also, it's kind of like it's always a good time to be in stocks if it's the right stock. It's always the wrong time if it's the wrong stock. And if the timing is right or wrong. So it's, there's never going to be a good answer to that question. Yeah, but the question for me, Clay, is does the gentleman who cashed out, did he get back in at the right time? Well, <laughs> you know, he is now getting back into the market, but it's after the market. And when I say the market, we mean sort of the broader indexes, the Dow Jones Industrials. We can talk about that in detail at some future podcast or the S&P 500 and EFI and all these different indexes. The broader market has rebounded. Come off, that means come off of its bottom, meaning the lows, its sell-off, and has risen in value more than 40% in a matter of months. And so some people who were prudent and were able to invest while the market was down have substantial gains that they've realized. So this gentleman in particular is inching his way back into the market 
being very thoughtful about his situation now that he's in retirement years. Um, and, um, you know, I think, um, I don't think he regrets moving to cash, but I think he's surprised, uh, like many of us were, how quickly the markets rebounded from their losses. Yeah, I had a friend who was bragging. It's like, oh my gosh, I was so smart. I got out all, I yeah. was in cash right away. I'm like, I'm not sure that's really something to totally. brag about right now, but interesting. So. Okay, great. So that wraps up our Q&A for this week. So uh, again, go to tricksoftherich.com and please submit your question or um, send an email to tricksoftherich at gmail.com. Um, submit your questions and we will hopefully answer them on a future podcast. Let me ask you a really important question. Do you have confidence in your financial plan during these very uncertain times? My name is Clay Smudsky, founder of Parkmead Capital. And for more than two decades, I have worked with institutions and families around the country, advising them on how to navigate turbulent markets and design strategies to achieve their financial goals and peace of mind. So don't wait, let me help you. Check out my website at www parkmeadcap.com and schedule a call today. It's complimentary and confidential and regain the confidence that you have a plan in place in which your dreams can now become a reality.